Hey, this is Dr. Eric, and I just want to let you know about my gut healing bundle for those with thyroid and autoimmune thyroid conditions. This includes SMT Probio, which is a probiotic with 18 well-researched strains, Enzymes Plus, which not only includes digestive enzymes, but betaine, HCL, and ox bile, and SMT GI Restore, which is a stevia-free formulation that has multiple nutrients and herbs that have been proven to help support the healing of the gut. To learn more about this, you can visit guthealingbundle.com. Thank you for joining me on the Save My Thyroid podcast, where I help people save their thyroid and regain their health. My name is Dr. Eric Osansky, and if you have hyperthyroidism, then you will especially benefit from these episodes. If you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you will also find many of these episodes to be valuable, including this one where I interview hormone expert Dr. Deb Matthew as she discusses just about everything you need to know about testosterone. Whether you're a male or female, having healthy testosterone levels is important. And during our conversation, Dr. Deb discussed why testosterone is important, some of the main reasons it's deficient in many people, why in some cases testosterone may be elevated, how testosterone relates to thyroid health, and of course, she'll discuss how to have healthy testosterone levels. This is the second time I've interviewed Dr. Deb, but it's the first time that she's been on my podcast. The first interview was done before I had a podcast as we did it on Facebook Live and then I posted it on my YouTube channel. As usual, make sure you listen to the post-episode chat after the outro music as I'll expand on hormone disruptors, addressing PCOS, and whether or not you should take bioidentical testosterone. Anyway, here is my interview with Dr. Deb Matthew. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. All right, so with me, I have... Dr. Deb Matthew, and we are going to chat about testosterone. I'm really excited because I haven't had an episode yet where I focused on testosterone, and Dr. Deb is definitely an expert when it comes to this topic. And so I'm going to dive into her bio, and then we're going to just really get into it. So Dr. Deb Matthew is known as the Happy Hormones Doctor, and she's a best-selling author, international speaker, educator wife and mom of four boys, and after suffering for years with fatigue and irritability due to hormone imbalances, her quest to resolve her personal health led to to change everything about the practice of medicine. She has been featured on natural podcasts, radio, and broadcast shows, including NBC, ABC, CBS, as well as Fox. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Deb. I'm so glad to be back. Yeah, glad as well. This is the first time I have you on the podcast. We actually interviewed you before my podcast on the YouTube channel. So this will be, of course, on the podcast and eventually it'll go on the YouTube channel as well. But yeah, the first interview Dr. Deb and I had that was on YouTube actually was just like more general talking about sex hormones. But I really wanted to have an episode that focuses on testosterone. And so, yeah, just for those who didn't, watched the YouTube video, the first interview. Can you just give a little bit of your background, how you started focusing on the hormones? Yeah, well, I used to be tired all the time. Napping was my favorite hobby. I used to be cold all the time. Even in July in North Carolina, I would take a sweater with me everywhere I went because when I went into air-conditioned movie theaters and restaurants, I would just shiver uncontrollably. And the refrigeration section at the grocery store was the worst. And I was also really irritable. I would fly off the handle at my kids over the silliest little things. And then I felt so guilty for being such a horrible mom. And my husband didn't know what the heck to do with me. He started saying things like, why are you always in such a bad mood? And the reality is that I didn't know what the heck was wrong with me. It was really confusing because nothing in my medical school training helped me understand what was happening to me. And when it finally changed is when my husband found a book that he thought I ought to read. 
And it was a book about hormones written by Suzanne Somers. But, you know, I remembered her as Chrissy Snow from Three's Company, you know, the ditzy blonde and the thigh master. And so I just looked at this book and I looked at him and said, you've got to be kidding me because medical doctors don't want to get our advice from celebrities. But he looked at me and said, well, honey, we have got to do something. So I read the book. And truthfully, that book changed my whole life because that was the first time I got introduced to this idea that our hormones impact how we feel, who we are on the inside, how we relate to other people and react to the world around us. And I learned that there are actually places where practitioners can go to learn about this stuff. It's not woo-woo medicine. There's real science behind it. But when I really learned what was going on and got my hormones in balance, I got my energy back. My kids got their mom back. My husband got his wife back. I got my life back. But I couldn't go back to just writing prescriptions all day long. That didn't make any sense to me anymore. So I retired from my old practice. And now for the last 16 years, I've been helping men and women get their hormones back in balance so they can get well, get off a lot of those prescription drugs and love the way they feel. All right. That's awesome. And many listeners to us know that I... I'm in the Charlotte area in Matthews, North Carolina. And Dr. Deb, that's where your practice is in the Charlotte area too. So it's pretty cool that she's not too far away. So thanks for getting a little bit deeper with your background. And the focus, as I mentioned, is going to be on testosterone. But before really focusing on testosterone, can you just give maybe a brief breakdown of the different sex hormones? Yeah. Okay. So there's For women, for sex hormones especially, we think about estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Those are the ones that come from our ovaries. And estrogen and progesterone are the ones that go up and down over our menstrual cycle. So all the changes that happen cyclically like PMS and menstrual changes and menopause, those ones are really all tied up with estrogen and progesterone. Birth control pills have synthetic forms of estrogen and progesterone in them. But testosterone is another really important hormone for women, just so we usually think of it as the male hormone. And of course, it's really important for men too. Men even have some estrogen, but men have way more testosterone than women do. They have 10 times more testosterone than women, but women have 10 times more testosterone than estrogen. So we think a lot about estrogen, but we can't forget about testosterone too. Yeah, that's good to know because you're right. A lot of women, they focus more on the progesterone and the estrogen and don't really think about testosterone, but it's important. And their doctors too, right? Their doctors are frequently not thinking about testosterone. Yeah, that's a good point. So we're going to focus on testosterone now. Why is it so important in both sexes, in both men and women? Testosterone has a lot of really important roles that it plays. Estrogen and progesterone also have a lot of important roles, but testosterone is very important for our physical body. Testosterone helps to keep our bones strong. So estrogen helps to prevent bone loss as we age. Progesterone actually stimulates new bone growth and testosterone gives strength to our bones so that if we trip and fall down, we won't snap like a twig. Testosterone also helps to maintain our muscle mass. And naturally with age, our muscle mass declines, our skin gets thinner, our hair gets thinner, our muscles get thinner, and testosterone helps to keep all of those things more robust. So technically what testosterone is doing is it's helping to prevent frailty as we get older. So it's really important for our physical body and for our strength and stamina. It's also really important for everything to do with sex. It's important for us to think about it and care about it in the first place, to become aroused. It's important for vaginal lubrication. It's important for arousal and orgasm. And of course, for men, it's important for all those same things, for erections. So when women don't have the right amount of testosterone, it can impact our sexual function. And testosterone also is really important for how we feel on the inside. All these hormones are important for that. Estrogen is like a natural antidepressant. Progesterone is a calming hormone. So it's like a natural anti-anxiety hormone. It's good for sleep. But testosterone is what gives us our motivation, our confidence, self-esteem, decisiveness, get up and go and get things accomplished. So 
when testosterone levels kind of go down, sex drive goes out the window. We start to age at an accelerated rate and we just feel more blah. So how women sort of describe feeling is like they're just putting one foot in front of the other, making their way through their day. The things that really have to happen today will make it happen. But if it doesn't really have to happen today, a lot of times we'll just kind of push it to the side and because we're just not really feeling it. And when I say that to women that come in to see me, you know, when they're sitting across the table from me and I talk about feeling flat, you know, kind of blah, putting one foot in front of the other, like I can just see their eyes nodding. Like a lot of women really resonate with that. So testosterone is a really important hormone for our physical health, and it's really important for our mood and how we feel. Because if a woman were to, or a man, all this is true for men too, confidence, motivation, you know, stamina, muscle strength, sexual health. If a person were to walk into their doctor's office and try to put this into words, I just don't feel like myself. I don't really get excited about things anymore. I've lost my motivation. I just feel kind of tired. What's their doctor going to do? Prozac, sleeping pills. I mean, that's really, truly what we are trained to do at medical school is to prescribe medicines to fix whatever things you're complaining about. But in this case, the antidepressants, they don't really work well because they're not fixing the right problem. Yeah. So actually, the next question I was going to ask you are, common symptoms of a testosterone deficiency, but you kind of just answered it. I mean, there might be others you might have, but if someone's having low libido, low mood, low stamina, those are some of the signs and symptoms of a possible testosterone deficiency. And you know, because you talk a lot about thyroid, one of the things we should sort of mention is there's a lot of overlap between thyroid symptoms and testosterone symptoms, more so with the low thyroid, but the fatigue, the low libido, the mood changes, etc. There's a lot of overlap there. So testosterone symptoms can sometimes make women go into their doctor thinking, gosh, it's got to be a thyroid problem. And then their thyroid gets measured and they're told, nope, everything's fine. But nobody ever thought to look at their testosterone. Yeah, that's good to know. Like you said, if they go to a regular conventional medical doctor, sometimes they won't even look at the thyroid. And if they do, many times they'll just look at TSH. But as you mentioned, a lot of times they will neglect looking at the sex hormones, including testosterone. And so just like you can have low thyroid or you can have hyperthyroidism and have too much thyroid, kind of the same thing is true with testosterone. So you can have low testosterone, which is very common in women, probably over 35, testosterone levels start to go down as our ovaries are kind of inching our way towards menopause. And we can talk about some of the things that cause low testosterone, but women can also have high testosterone. And there's a very, very common condition called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which results in high levels of testosterone, or there's some other hormones that act like testosterone. We call these hormones, this group of hormones, androgen hormones. They're like the male hormones. So women can have too much of these. And these symptoms are totally different. If you have a little bit too much of these hormones, You can have acne, especially kind of along the chin and the jawline. You can have hair growing in the places where you don't want it. You can have thinning hair on your head, irregular periods. So either no periods at all or periods come in randomly or heavy periods that just never really want to go away. A lot of women who have this problem struggle with their weight. A lot of times they end up having blood sugar problems and prediabetes and then cysts on the ovaries, which is where the name polycystic ovarian syndrome came from. So if somebody has really like all of those symptoms and they're pretty notable, then probably what will happen is at some point along the way, they will be diagnosed with PCOS. But this is a very common problem. We find it in one out of 10 women. So 10% of women have PCOS and the majority of them have not been diagnosed. Because often what happens is when they're teenagers, they never really get regular periods, so they just get put on birth control pills. And now they're on birth control pills, which shut down our natural hormones and replace them with the synthetic chemicals in the birth control pills that mimic our hormones, but they're not the same thing. And that kind of regulates periods. And so it does help with some of the symptoms, but it's not really fixing the underlying problem. And so then at some point, this woman is going to want to start a family. She's going to come off birth control pills, 
but not have regular periods and have problems with fertility because one of the things that this testosterone does is it interferes with fertility. So it's important for women to have a proper diagnosis. If you don't have all the symptoms or, you know, if you just have some of the symptoms, sometimes it slides through the cracks, but too much testosterone is not a good thing either. So what I've learned, what I've researched is when someone has elevated testosterone, especially in the presence of PCOS, a lot of times it's insulin resistance related. Is that true? Exactly. So really the underlying problem is an insulin problem. There's too much insulin. So that's like what's going on with type two diabetes. So you don't have to have type two diabetes. It doesn't have to be that severe, but there's a problem with insulin that affects the ovaries to trigger more testosterone production. And then this testosterone causes symptoms and the testosterone interferes with the regular ovulation and ovarian function, which messes up periods and causes problems with fertility. And so we can cover it up with birth control pills, but if we can kind of go backwards and get down to working on the insulin resistance and some of the other factors here, we can actually get the hormones much better balanced. And so if someone has elevated testosterone in the absence of PCOS, would you still suspect insulin resistance? When somebody has insulin resistance, whether they have a diagnosis of PCOS or not, it can trigger more testosterone production. So even if a woman doesn't have the label of PCOS, we would still want to think about balancing insulin levels, working on insulin levels. Yeah. I'm just saying, because you mentioned a lot of women with PCOS are not diagnosed, but even if they were evaluated and they don't have cyst and their cycle's fine, there's a possible it just maybe hasn't reached that point yet where they're yes. in the beginning stages. But if it was left, if nothing was taken care of, if it wasn't addressed, then eventually they might have developed PCOS. Exactly. And while we're talking about this, let me talk about another hormone that causes testosterone levels. So 50% of a woman's testosterone comes from her ovaries and the other 50% comes from the adrenal glands. So the adrenal glands make adrenaline, they make cortisol, and they make one called DHEA, which stands for dihydroepiandrosterone. So you can understand why we call it DHEA. And DHEA can be used to make testosterone. So 50% of the testosterone comes from here. When you are stressed your adrenal glands will start getting stimulated to deal with the stress. They'll make more cortisol and they can make more DHEA and that can result in more testosterone. So sometimes it can be from stress, but usually there's sort of a limit to how high the testosterone will go. But for some women who have PCOS, their testosterone levels aren't that bad, but their DHEA levels are quite elevated and if their doctor only measured the testosterone, they might miss it and they could still have, you know, whether it's acne or hair growing or whatever the symptoms are. So we would also want to make sure to look at the DHEA and the actual, well, I guess we can talk about lab testing in a minute, but that's another important one to think about. And addressing stress is an important way to try to help get testosterone levels normalized. So a follow-up question for the men now, since I don't know if you ever see elevated testosterone in men, and obviously men can't have PCOS. So would you say it's in most cases, it's stress related if they have that elevated testosterone? I have never had a man walk in my door and say, somebody help me. I have too much testosterone in my system. Those guys aren't coming in complaining. They're out, I don't know, taking over companies and driving sports cars. I don't know what they're doing, but I've never seen them. All right. Good to know. And it makes sense. Uh, most of the men as well as women you work with probably are actually most of the men are on the lower side. Again, the woman, it varies. So. Most of the men who come in have low testosterone. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, before we get into the testing, how about like what causes the decrease in testosterone? Yeah. Okay. So low testosterone, there are a few really important things that women need to know because one of them is birth control pills. When you are on birth control pills, it's not hormones, it's synthetic drugs, man-made drugs, chemicals that are never found in your body, but they're made to try to copy or mimic the hormones. So what happens is they shut off your natural hormones, gets replaced with the synthetic chemicals, but your brain 
feels like it's got the hormones in the system. So the message to your ovaries gets turned off. Well, okay, we don't want you to ovulate and get pregnant. So that part's okay. But the message to make testosterone also gets turned down. Plus, when you take birth control pills, your liver reacts by making more of a hormone called sex hormone binding globulin. And when you have more sex hormone binding globulin, it binds to testosterone and inactivates it. So first of all, your testosterone level goes down a bit, and then what you've got gets inactivated. And so now you feel like you have low testosterone and your body could be making it. It's just a side effect of the birth control pill. So that's one really important thing that women need to know that when they go on birth control pills, libido may go down. They could have vaginal dryness. Like they just might not feel as good, their drive, their energy. And there's a bajillion different birth control pills that all have different types of these chemicals in them that all act a little bit differently. So birth control pills is one that's important to know. Another thing that can lower testosterone is stress. So we talked about stress can cause more of this DHEA that can make more testosterone. But what often happens is your adrenal glands pump out a lot of cortisol to help you cope with stress, but they can only maintain that for a while. And then your system starts to shut down sort of inappropriately. And now you don't make enough DHEA. And so if you don't have enough DHEA, then you don't make as much testosterone. So stress is an important cause of low testosterone for women and for men. And so coping with stress in healthy ways is one of the ways to help normalize testosterone levels when it's low. And then a really big cause of low testosterone is just the aging process. So for men, testosterone levels very gradually go down over time. But we're seeing low testosterone in younger and younger and younger men. And for women, really kind of over the age of 35, as our ovaries are inching, you know, towards menopause, the testosterone levels start to go down. So it's super common for us to see low testosterone levels in perimenopausal women in their 40s, and then certainly in women who have gone through menopause. All right. Well, so I'm glad you mentioned stress because stress could not only lead to low testosterone, but also other sex hormones, like since testosterone converts into estradiol, we could see that low. So, so yeah, definitely got a dramatic impact on all the sex hormones. So you mentioned sex hormone binding globulin, where like birth control could increase that and then the testosterone binds to it. So you have less free testosterone in the bloodstream, correct? That's right. Also, hyperthyroidism. I was about to say, that's what I was about to have a segue into the hyperthyroidism increasing sex hormone binding globulin. Yeah. So hyperthyroidism can increase sex hormone binding globulin. But you know, what's interesting is when studies have looked at this, they've actually found that because hyperthyroidism increases your metabolism in like, you know, many, many, many different ways, sometimes women end up with higher testosterone production because their system is just revved, then they make more of this binding protein that inactivates it. So at the end of the day, it kind of comes out as a wash, which is interesting. So we definitely see more sex hormone binding globulin, which definitely inactivates testosterone. So you could be at risk for having low testosterone and maybe the negative impact of the hyperthyroidism might boost the testosterone and negate that. You just need to test and then you'll know. Yeah, that is interesting. And you mentioned you're seeing younger men with low testosterone. So what do you say most of the time, if you had to guess, more due to stress, just more chronic stress now compared to years ago? So part of it is due to stress. Part of it is due to lifestyle habits. So if you're not eating the right foods, if you become more inflamed, if you're overweight, especially if guys are carrying weight on their belly, that causes a lot of more testosterone to flip over into estrogen because testosterone, as you said, it gets converted into estrogen. So if that's happening too much, then your estrogen goes up and your testosterone goes down. And that doesn't feel good if you're a guy. So lifestyle habits, alcohol causes more estrogen production. Too much marijuana isn't good for testosterone levels. So there's a lot of things in our lifestyle habits. If you're not doing exercise where you're doing resistance exercise, like lifting weights, that helps to boost testosterone. But another thing that we really need to mention that's so, so important is the effect of toxins in our environment. So of course, I'm sure you talk about how toxins trigger autoimmunity, but 
a lot of the toxins that we're exposed to on a regular basis in our environment are hormone disruptors. So they mess up how our hormones work. They mess up your thyroid and they mess up testosterone. There are a lot of examples of toxins in the environment that lower testosterone in men. And the problem is they're so hard to test. So for example, atrazine is an herbicide that gets sprayed on the crops in order to kill the weeds. But then it rains and the atrazine gets washed into the rivers and the lakes and the streams. And atrazine can turn a boy frog into a girl frog. And apparently, according to one study, there's enough atrazine in the urine of a typical American man to turn a boy frog into a girl frog. So the real question is, what does it do to a male human? But we can't really properly test that because what are we going to do? Get a bunch of men to drink a bunch of atrazine or roll in it? Like who's signing up for that study? That would be completely unethical. So we don't really know. That's one example. Another example is triclosan, which was the ingredient in antibacterial soap. And they're no longer allowed to use it, but it was in our soap for a really long time, all those antibacterial soaps. And what we know from that one is when they took, I forget if it was hamsters or gerbils or some kind of cute little fuzzy animal, and they exposed them to triclosan, it caused their testes to go from pink to blue. So what does it do to male human testes? Like we don't really exactly know, but thankfully they've taken that one off the market now. So there's tens of thousands of these chemicals. Most of them have never been tested. So we have no idea. But we do know that that is a really important factor in why we're seeing a lot of hormone imbalances in women and men. All right. Well, that's definitely important to know. And that's why you want to try to do everything you can to reduce your toxic load, just because triclosan is not part of the hand sanitizers and soaps anymore. There's still, as you mentioned, other exposures. And your thyroid is one of those canaries in the coal mine where your thyroid is one of the first things to be damaged when we're exposed to a lot of these chemicals. Yeah. Have you seen anything? I know in the research with thyroid, you know, the xenoestrogens like BPA, I don't know if you've seen anything in the research showing that those potentially could also affect testosterone. So a lot of the chemicals do. A lot of what they do is because they act like estrogen, they throw off the estrogen testosterone balance. So indirectly, they do definitely affect all of these. And the way that these hormones work too is a lot of times they have equal and opposite actions. So if one of the hormones is kind of high normal and one of the hormones is kind of low normal, even if technically the level of each hormone is in the normal range, according to the lab, if they're out of balance, you still can have symptoms. So, you know, if you actually could get your doctor to measure your hormone levels for you, which is sometimes difficult, but if you could get them to do it, sometimes they just look at it and everything lands within the lab range and they just say, oh, everything's normal. Congratulations. And you're sitting there going, but wait a minute, I feel so crappy. How can it be normal? It would thyroid is the worst, right? I was on Synthroid for 10 years. It probably took me 10 years to get diagnosed with hypothyroidism. Then I was on Synthroid for 10 years. I felt no better. It took me 20 years before I learned this stuff and got my thyroid in balance. So we're talking about testosterone today, and that's important too. But when we're talking about these toxins and getting your labs done, thyroid is just the worst. Yeah. And you, you know, make a good point. It's the hormones, everything's kind of interrelated. So even if it's not directly affecting testosterone by affecting estrogen or other hormones, it could, as you said, indirectly affect testosterone. So I'm glad you... And you still get the symptoms and you don't feel good. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And if you're looking to do everything you can to save your thyroid gland, in addition to listening to this podcast, there are a few different ways we can help you. First of all, I've written a book on hyperthyroidism called Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves' Disease, as well as a book called Hashimoto's Triggers, which of course is on Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And you can find both of these on Amazon, as well as other websites where books are sold. Second, you could also join my Graves' Disease and Hashimoto's Healing Community by visiting autoimmunethyroidgroup.com. And finally, if you want to get personal help from me, you could visit the website workwithdreric.com. Just to let you know, I only see a limited number of new patients each month, and I do require anyone interested to complete a brief online application before working with me. And now back to the show. So let's talk a little bit about testing. What method, I imagine 
blood is probably the most common method you use for testosterone? Yeah, for hormones, we can do saliva testing, we can do urine testing, but blood testing actually works really well for testosterone. But we do want to do more than just the testosterone level because we've got the total testosterone and we also have the free testosterone. And it's important, like you kind of want to know both because testosterone circulates around in your bloodstream, but you also have this sex hormone binding globulin, this SHBG. And SHBG is going to grab hold of testosterone and inactivate it. So whatever's left over that hasn't been inactivated, that's your free testosterone. And that's what you feel. So if you have more or less testosterone or more or less SHBG, it's going to impact how much free testosterone you have. So I like to look at the total testosterone and the free testosterone and the SHBG to understand, you know, really what's going on. We also want to look at DHEA because that's the precursor hormone. For women, well, for men and for women, if we're going to order the blood test, we want to order DHEAS, which stands for DHEA sulfate, because that's how DHEA is carried through the bloodstream. If we order just straight DHEA, it fluctuates a lot. The level goes up and down over the day. So the DHEAS is the one for us to order. And for men, DHEA is made into testosterone, but it's not enough. Like it's just a small amount. For women though, 50% comes from DHEA. So if the DHEA level is not very good, if it's kind of low, if we actually give women some DHEA, we can actually raise their testosterone level naturally. So knowing what the DHEA level is, is important because if your DHEA level is kind of high to start with, we wouldn't want to give you more. Otherwise, we'll just cause you to have side effects. But it is important to measure DHEA. I also think that we should be measuring cortisol levels. And that one is not the best one to measure in a blood test. For cortisol, we prefer to measure in a saliva test or a urine test because then we can measure multiple times in the day. And cortisol has a circadian rhythm where it changes over the 24 hours. So what we're really looking for is, is it going up when it's supposed to go up? And is it going down when it's supposed to go down? So if the pattern is off, that's a problem. And because testosterone and cortisol are so important, they're they're kind of opposites. Testosterone is a build and repair hormone. It makes you strong, whereas, and it's sort of an anti-aging hormone. Whereas cortisol is a wear and tear hormone. It breaks things down like your bones and your muscle, and it's an aging hormone. So they're kind of opposites and high cortisol can be a cause of low testosterone. So we would want to know that we're trying to look for as many potential underlying causes as we can, so we can fix them because often all these things are going on at the same time, too much stress, not enough DHEA, toxins in the environment, birth control pills, you know, you get all of these all at once and then you feel really bad and you go to your doctor and you walk out with a Prozac prescription that just kills your sex drive and makes you gain weight and you still don't feel good. Do you also test for estradiol to see if like the testosterone is overconverting into the estrogen? Yes. Although it does depend for men. Absolutely. Because that's an important cause of the low testosterone if too much is converting. For women, typically I'm measuring all the hormones, but if somebody's on birth control pills, then the birth control pills shut down estrogen. So the lab test is not really going to be valid. And it is very important for women who are having menstrual cycles. We have to do the test at the right time in the menstrual cycle. Otherwise the estrogen and progesterone levels won't really be valid. And so we would expect completely different estrogen numbers when you're on your period versus when you're ovulating versus the week after, you know, you've ovulated. So the timing matters a lot. You can't just march into your doctor on any random Thursday afternoon and ask for an estrogen level on the spot and be able to properly interpret it. Yep. Yeah. Glad you mentioned that. And how about optimal levels? Like, can you talk about for both free and total testosterone? And I know it differs between men and women. So what do you look for? What do you ideally want to see? Well, this is a really loaded question. It should be obvious. This is the lab range and this is the optimal level, but nobody can decide. Every lab sets what they consider to be the normal range and it varies so much. So for women, if we start with women and if we just talk about blood testing, 
for the longest time, LabCorp had 40 as the upper limit of normal and four as the lower. So you could be four to 40. That was the normal range. Other labs said that the normal range went like 15 to 85. So you could have twice as much testosterone at the other lab and that was considered normal. And for free testosterone, typically the upper level for women goes up to about 2.5 or something like that. But the lower end is zero. You can have zero testosterone as a woman, zero free testosterone and be considered completely normal, which is just stupid. So the problem is we can't decide what's too high and we can't decide what's too low. We just let it go all the way down to the bottom without really caring about it. So for me, one of the most important things that I look for is, do you have symptoms? Do you have symptoms of low testosterone? Do you have symptoms of high testosterone? And what I see in practice is, for example, the women who have PCOS, et cetera, where they're having symptoms of the acne, the hair growing, et cetera, they very frequently have testosterone levels above 35. So in the high 30s, in the 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s. So they're not on any kind of testosterone replacement therapy. That's sort of a whole different ballpark of what number we look for. When we see women with symptoms of low testosterone, very commonly I see that the blood level, the total testosterone is below 20. So for the high testosterone, often those women, the free testosterone is just at the upper end of what the lab says is normal or a little bit over. But for low testosterone, what I see is women under 20 typically have symptoms, even though the lab says that it normal goes all the way down to four. And sometimes even, you know, in the mid twenties, et cetera, women will still have symptoms and not feel good. The challenge that we have is for free testosterone, when we're measuring low levels, the lab tests become inaccurate. Like the machines that they use at the lab can't properly count the number of molecules of testosterone when it gets really, really low. So it's really hard to kind of put a number on what would be too low because it's kind of inaccurate and it's allowed to go down to zero. But for me personally, assuming somebody has symptoms, I would say that something below 20 would be something that I would look at somebody and say, I think your testosterone is too low. And maybe we need to think about how we can help you either naturally make more or whatever we need to do to get your testosterone better. For men, of course, men have much more testosterone than women, but we still have the same problem. Nobody can decide what's normal. So nobody worries too much about where the upper limit is. But I got to tell you, LabCorp used to say like 900 for men was the top. And then they pushed it and said, no, you can go all the way up to 1200 and that's normal. And then after a few years, they came back down and said, no, 900 is the top. And then for lower, there's even more disagreement. Some labs will say anything below 200 is low. Some labs will say anything below 300. Some labs, you have to be below 350 to be counted as low. Even the free testosterone, we've got the same problem. The lab, it's different what they think. So for me, again, I'm starting by looking for symptoms. So if a man has symptoms of low testosterone and his total testosterone level is below 400, or if the free testosterone is low, even if the total testosterone is normal, those are men when I would look at them and say, I think your testosterone is too low and we really need to do something about it. And even if it's a little bit above that, it depends on their symptoms and all the circumstances. And sometimes we still kind of feel like they could use a little bit more because, you know, we don't know if you were a man who lived your whole life with a testosterone level at 850, And now over time, because of all those various things, now you've gone down to 450, like that still might be considered normal, but that's a big change from where you used to be. And you probably won't feel as good as, you know, how you used to. So it's not like we want to make you 18 again, but it's not healthy to have low testosterone. So one question I had just based on a patient I saw recently and you might have already kind of answered a question is, so I had a female patient who had free testosterone levels, but her total testosterone was out of range. So I was going to ask you, how would you approach that? But it sounds like the first thing you would do is evaluate the symptoms. So I guess it might depend on... Are you talking out of range high or out of range low? Actually, I think it was high. I think it was a little bit on the higher end. The total testosterone free was normal. 
But even so, if the total testosterone was high, I would still be looking for what's driving it high and what could we do to start calming it down, looking at the insulin resistance, but especially I would be looking for symptoms because a woman whose testosterone level is a little bit high is probably stronger. She's probably an athlete. She's probably competitive. She might be the vice president at the bank or running her own company or a doctor or a lawyer because testosterone gives us drive and motivation and confidence and assertiveness and self-esteem. So women who naturally have had a pretty decent amount of testosterone their whole life tend to be confident and, you know, they're in corporate America and they're competitive athletes, whether they're like amateur competitive athletes or professional competitive athletes. Whereas women who've always had low testosterone, they're just more likely to maybe choose different life paths. Maybe they're a florist or a kindergarten teacher or something that's not sort of so, you know, requires, I don't know, I was going to say assertiveness, but goodness knows if you're a teacher, you need assertiveness to get all those kids to sit down and behave. So I'm not trying to stereotype, but these hormones affect who we are. They affect our behavior. They affect a lot of things about us. And so sometimes a little bit of extra testosterone can actually be an advantage in certain circumstances. It's not always bad. All right. So that's also good to know. And one last question I had with the testing is, what are your thoughts on saliva testing for testosterone? You're familiar, I'm sure, with, you mentioned earlier for adrenals, urine testing, so dried urine testing, Dutch testing for testosterone. Yep. When I'm picking which test that I'm going to order for somebody, because I do all of these, I do saliva testing, I do urine testing, and I do blood testing. Usually the decision of which test I'm going to make depends on the other hormones. If for whatever reason today, the only thing I'm going to measure, which doesn't happen very often, but if the only thing I'm going to measure is testosterone, I'll just do it in a blood test. I think it's perfectly fine in a blood test. When we're looking at the other hormones, though, there's more information that we can get from the other hormones. Like, so for example, in a saliva test, we can do the cortisol four different times and you're not really going to go to the lab and get your blood drawn four different times, especially not at midnight. And in the urine test, we can look at more at how the different hormones, including testosterone, how they're broken down and how your body processes them, because depending on how you process them, that has implications for how they work and how you feel and what kind of health conditions you could be at risk for. So if I'm interested in those pathways, if a woman has fibroids or fibrocystic breasts or ovarian cysts or problems like that, I might be really interested to know how she's processing her estrogen. And so I would pick that test. So testosterone can be measured in any of these tests. The gold standard at this point is still in a blood test. But what I would say for women is, first of all, you got to find the right practitioner to even order the test in the first place, because not all doctors are going to be able to do that. And then you're probably best letting the practitioner choose the test that they are the most confident and comfortable with interpreting. And so any of these tests would be okay. And I will add that I don't do Dutch testing on everybody, but when I've done Dutch testing, it's common to see testosterone low, like really low. And oftentimes the report will red flag that and say, test it in the blood. It'll actually admit that it's not completely accurate. And then, yeah, so. The blood test is the gold standard for testosterone. Definitely. And the, it's important to know that in the urine test, you're measuring the testosterone that your body used and you're peed out. Whereas in the blood test, you're measuring how much is going round and round. So it's not quite apples to apples. You're getting different information. And sometimes one piece of information is really helpful. All right. So the final topic, increasing testosterone. And you mentioned, you know, I think you said earlier, weightlifting, you know, resistance, exercise. Yep. So yeah, let's get into that. I know the bioidentical hormones, you don't have to get into great detail with that, but yeah, I'll let you talk. Resistance exercise, lifting weights with heavier weights is one of the things that boosts testosterone in men more so than in women. So women, we still need to be doing that resistance exercise. Men get a bigger boost in testosterone than women do from doing that. Reducing stress. So sometimes you can't avoid all the stress, but doing things to help balancing the stress in your life, whether that's yoga, breathing exercises, writing in a gratitude journal, doing what you can do to manage stress in a healthy way is so important for hormones. And there's other things we can do too. If your adrenal glands aren't making the right amount of cortisol and DHEA, there's certain herbs that we can use. They're called adaptogenic herbs, things like ashwagandha, holy basil, ginseng, et cetera. Those can be helpful too. 
for women who have low testosterone and low DHEA on the test, we can give a nutritional supplement of DHEA to help naturally see if we can raise the levels. And sometimes that doesn't have to be permanent either. If you're all stressed out, burned out, overwhelmed, sometimes we can give you some of these herbs and give you some DHEA and then you kind of get better and then things can go back to normal. And the younger you are, the more often that things can just go back to normal. You won't have to keep taking them. There are other herbs that specifically help to boost testosterone levels. So there's one called Tongkat Ali. There's a whole number of different herbs that can be used. The younger you are, the more likely it is that it would be helpful. And then when men and women sort of get to a certain age and the testosterone production is just low and it's not really coming back because of age. And these days, you know, it doesn't mean 96 anymore, but for women, it means you've gone through menopause. And for men, you know, often it's somewhere in midlife or lower if you got a lot of toxins in your system, but we can give testosterone replacement. Testosterone, almost all of it is bioidentical, meaning it's the natural form of testosterone. So it's exactly what your body used to make, which is so important. There is still one pill on the market called Estratest, which is a synthetic drug form of estrogen and a synthetic drug form of testosterone. I don't recommend it. It's not the same thing as testosterone. It's not good for your liver. It's just, you wouldn't eat a drug version of a tomato or a synthetic tomato. So I don't know why you would want a synthetic version of testosterone but we can give testosterone. And it's important to have your level measured first to see if you even need it because we don't want to give it to you if that's not the appropriate thing. You want to be monitored for side effects. You want to have your level rechecked to make sure that you're on the right amount. You want to make sure that you're working with a practitioner who's taking the whole person into account because it's really important to put any kind of hormone replacement therapy into a healthy body because we want the benefits of the hormones. We don't want the risks and the side effects Fortunately, the risks and side effects of testosterone are more nuisances, so they can cause oily skin, oily hair, acne, pimples, hair growing where you don't want it. Like all these things are annoying and nobody wants that, but it's not like heart attacks and strokes or breast cancer or things like that. But there are some practitioners out there that are so confident in the idea that testosterone makes people feel better that they kind of have the mindset that more is better. And sometimes they're giving pretty hefty doses of testosterone or they're not really looking at the whole person and dealing with inflammation and nutritional levels and stress and all the other things. And so if somebody's not feeling good still, they just try to keep going up and up and up on the testosterone to try to fix all of their symptoms. And that's not really the best approach either, because if we can really get the person healthier, you don't need such a big dose of testosterone because you know your body just works better. So it is important to make sure that whomever you're working with, if you end up to the point of talking about hormone replacement therapy, you want to make sure that they're using a functional medicine approach where they're really looking at you in a holistic way. And how typically is testosterone administered in both women and men? Is it like an orally or testosterone cream? Yeah, typically not orally. We can do it as a topical cream. We can do it as a lozenge that dissolves under your tongue. We can do it as injections and we can do it as pellets, which look like a little tic-tac and it just gets inserted under your skin. Okay, and that's for both men and women? For both men and women, yep. We got lots of options. And one other question, when it comes to overconverting testosterone to estradiol, do you ever recommend either natural or prescription aromatase inhibitors? Yes. So for men, we don't usually need that for women. We can work with women without really needing aromatase inhibitors. For men, though, if the main problem is that a man is able to make testosterone, but he's just converting too much to estrogen. First of all, we want to work on the underlying things that are causing that. So insulin resistance, inflammation, belly fat, these are some of the primary drivers. So we want to improve lifestyle habits and help lose weight. And there are lots of toxins that act like estrogen. So we want to clear those out. But sometimes if we just gave more testosterone, they're just going to flip it into more estrogen and they're not going to feel better and then they're not going to get the results. And I see that all the time. Men go into their primary care doctor and sometimes they have to ask for it. But if eventually somebody measures their testosterone level, then they get a prescription for like a testosterone gel or something and they put this gel on and 
it just flips over to estrogen, they don't really feel better. And so either they just give up on it or they just keep taking the gel because it was prescribed to them, but they never really get much progress because regular doctors are not looking at estrogen. They're only looking at testosterone. But for me, if a man came in and had these risk factors and I could see that the estrogen was relatively high compared with the testosterone, I definitely would give aromatase inhibitors, which is the things that prevent this conversion. We can use an herb called chrysin, which it works a little bit. And sometimes though we have to use a medicine, a common one is called anastrozole. We don't really like to use medicines, but we can just use half a pill twice a week. And sometimes that's enough to stop that conversion. The testosterone comes up and then a man feels like himself again. He's much more likely to have the motivation to go to the gym and to eat healthy and do the right things to lose the weight and get the inflammation down. And then sometimes things can reset themselves and he doesn't need to take it anymore. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, I think we covered a lot, but is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you or anything else that you'd like to talk about? Well, I guess the one thing that I'd like to say is that hormones are really, really important in how we feel. And it's something that you can't see and touch. So, you know, if your right elbow is all swollen up double its size, when you walk into your doctor's office, they're going to go, oh my goodness. And everybody's going to jump up and scramble around to figure out what to do to help you. But when you walk in and you say, I don't feel like myself, I'm not very motivated. Like, you know, my career is kind of stalling because I can't get myself going to get stuff done. They don't have anything for that. And then you're left to feel like you lack self-discipline and, you know, it's like a personality flaw, but please know that hormones are really important. It's so common for women and men to have hormone imbalances and you can't wait for your doctor to fix you. Your doctor doesn't have a pill that's going to fix you. We all need to take charge of our own health. And I really believe that living well is the best medicine. Well said. And where can people find out more about you, Dr. Deb? So the website for my practice is signaturewellness.org, O-R-G. And then you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Deb Matthew with no S. Okay. Did you want to mention your book as well? Sure. Yeah. So I wrote a book because when people come in to see me, women will often say, you know, I'm feeling like this, this, and this. I wonder if it could be my hormones. And what men say when they come in and see me is, I'm feeling like this, this, and this, but maybe it's just my age. That's what I hear over and over. The women think it's their hormones. Men just think it's their age. But I wrote this book to help women understand whether their symptoms could be from a hormone problem. It's called This Is Not Normal, A Busy Woman's Guide to Symptoms of Hormone Imbalance. And it has a bunch of quizzes. So you can check the list of symptoms to see, could it be your testosterone? Could it be your estrogen or your cortisol or whatever it might be? And then it's got tips for how to naturally start getting your hormones back in balance. It's got some tips on how to talk to your doctor to try to get the right help. And then if your doctor's not really the right person to get you help, there's some tips on like resources for where you can go to try to find the right kind of doctor to help you. You can get a free copy at isityourhormones.com. You can download a free copy. I have a book for men too. It's called Why Can't I Keep Up Anymore? And it's a guide to regaining peak mental, physical performance over the age of 40. And that one is available on our website and on Amazon. All right. And of course, I'll make sure to include all these links that you mentioned in the show notes. And thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Deb, for your time and for sharing your knowledge about testosterone. I'm sure the listeners learned a lot and I did as well. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. I enjoyed chatting with Dr. Deb, and I honestly didn't think we'd chat so long about a single hormone. Although I shouldn't be surprised as this happens a lot. Usually when I interview someone, I let them know that my goal is to chat for about 35 to 45 minutes, but it's not uncommon to go over that time. And with Dr. Deb, I made sure I checked with her just to see if she had a hard stop at the 45 minute mark, but she was good to go 
And that's something I do with most of the people I interview. As long as I remember, I'll ask them if we go closer to an hour, if it's okay. And I really try not to exceed an hour. I can't say I've never done that, but really try to keep it 35, 45 minutes. But if at all possible, definitely below an hour. And again, this, at least the actual interview was below an hour when we uh, tag on the pre-intro and the post-outro and might come close. Maybe it might go a little bit over an hour. I'm not sure. But let's talk a little bit more about hormone disruptors because she briefly mentioned this during the interview. And of course, you want to do everything you can to minimize your exposure to environmental toxins in general. When you go outside of your home, there's only so much you could do. So you want to focus on inside your home, eating organic food as much as you can, using natural cleaners and cosmetics will greatly help as well. And then uh, just doing things to increase the elimination of these toxins from your body. So eating plenty of vegetables, especially cruciferous vegetables can be beneficial. Infrared sauna, sweating out toxins, not just for hormone disrupting chemicals, but all different types of chemicals, even heavy metals, sauna could be beneficial. So it's something that's really important. I can't emphasize enough, make sure you don't drink out of plastic water bottles on a regular basis. They're a real big source of xenoestrogens. And then PCOS. So she spoke about PCOS and we both chatted about briefly insulin resistance being a factor. So that's something I knew prior to her mentioning it, that insulin resistance when it comes to elevated testosterone levels is something to look into. But we really didn't get into detail about addressing insulin resistance because that's a whole topic to itself. Now, fortunately, there have been other episodes focusing on that. One of those episodes, I don't know the episode number, but I interviewed Dr. Rita Marie Lascalzo. And she spoke about insulin resistance. That's one to check out. Cynthia Thurlow, we didn't really focus on insulin resistance, but she spoke about intermittent fasting, which is one way to help with certain cases of insulin resistance. I'm sure I will do other episodes in the future that address insulin resistance, as well as I'm sure in the future, I'll probably have an expert or two talk more specifically about PCOS. But I guess the thing is with insulin resistance, it's not only about diet. So I'll mention that here, that a lot of times just changing your diet, you know, eating low carb, doing intermittent fasting. I mean, those could be beneficial, but there's usually an inflammatory component that needs to be addressed when it comes to insulin resistance. And sometimes that can be challenging. So I just wanted to bring that up, but definitely tune into some of the other episodes, especially the ones that I just mentioned. And then finally, I want to expand a little bit on bioidentical hormones, specifically, should you take bioidentical hormones or in this case, bioidentical testosterone? So we'll focus on testosterone since this is what the episode was on. And, you know, we're going to have different perspectives, different healthcare practitioners will have different perspectives. I like that Dr. Deb spoke about addressing the cause of the problem and make sure stress is under control. But it seems like when someone's older, like if someone like my age, 52 as of recording this, you know, if I walked into her office and obviously she didn't know me and, you know, if I had symptoms of low testosterone, let's say low libido, low mood, uh, you know, it sounds like she very well might just recommend bioidentical testosterone based on my age. Now I'll backtrack a little bit. She does test for it. So I'm not saying she would just like, you know, hand me a prescription, you know, right after the first appointment. So she would test for it. And, you know, I'm sure she would also tell me to do things to improve my adrenal health. And who knows, maybe I would need the testosterone. I'm not saying there's not a time and place, but even though it decreases with age, I don't know if everybody really needs testosterone. Again, I don't think I need testosterone. I overall feel pretty good libido wise and mood wise. Now, again, that might change in the future, but I mean, even if it did change, I would try to focus first on improving adrenal health. We didn't really speak about sleep, but sleep is important for healthy adrenals, which is important for healthy sex hormones. So again, there is a time and place for testosterone and some hormone doctors don't test and they just give it to everyone or you know some test and they still give it to everyone. So it sounds like, again, she doesn't give it to everyone, but if someone's older, again, I don't know what age, she didn't 
give a specific age, but I got the impression of someone is my age, like in the 50s, definitely in the 60s, 70s. And if they have low testosterone, that there's a good chance that you'll prescribe it. And again, that's what she does. That's her approach. It's not a wrong approach. That's just her approach. You know, my approach. First of all, I can't prescribe bioidentical testosterone. So that's one reason I have to take this approach. But it really doesn't come down to that because I can't prescribe thyroid hormone replacement. But if someone needs it, I will refer them out to someone who can prescribe it. So I'm not going to play games and say, oh, let's take some herbs to help with the thyroid hormone production, if someone really needs thyroid hormone. So, and the same thing with testosterone, if someone needs it, then they need it. If someone has done everything from a diet and lifestyle perspective, you know, eating well, managing stress, sleeping well, they still have low testosterone, then by all means, that person probably should take bioidentical testosterone. But if they haven't done those things, my approach is to focus on improving diet and lifestyle And I find many times people don't need the bioidentical hormones, even people who are older. So just, you know, age, obviously the hormones do decrease as we age, but it doesn't mean that we need to take bioidentical hormones. That's just my opinion. I mean, overall, I think Dr. Deb and I are on the same page. And prior to interviewing her, I knew that she frequently prescribes bioidentical hormones because again, I interviewed her in the past. So just, you know, like I said, everyone's different. And yeah, if I need, or if I feel like I need bioidentical testosterone in the future, I'll probably go to her because she's also in the Charlotte area. So yeah, anyway, that's all I wanted to chat about in this post-episode chat or post-episode rant, whatever you want to call it. Hope you found this episode to be valuable. And as usual, I look forward to catching you in the next episode. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.